welcome, welcome, welcome. This is week 10 of the Around Disc Golf podcast. I'm here with double Justins this week, Mr. Justin Anderson, as always. And we are joined by a special guest host for the week, someone we tried to get on last week, but he claimed about a thousand excuses into why he couldn't do it. Uh, we are lucky enough to be joined by Mr. Justin George. How are you boys doing tonight? Doing great. Yeah, having a great night. Big news kind of around the world tonight. We'll get into in a little bit. We're recording. It's Wednesday evening. We just found out that the NBA has suspended basketball games moving forward for the foreseeable future. And they were talking at least a few weeks, if not indefinitely. We found out today also that the NCAA tournament is not going to allow fans in the stands for March Madness. So that's also gigantic news. Um, kind of a crazy day. How's how's things up in the Portland area for you guys? Everybody's uh, pretty concerned. Uh, I know my, my wife is, is very concerned. I have some friends at the gym that have kids with um, illnesses that could be potentially very very dangerous for them uh so there's a lot of people i think that are taking it very seriously and starting to do some precautionary measures to distance themselves from you know public gatherings and groups and stuff like that um similar to how a lot of schools and a lot of other events are being canceled uh sporting events and stuff like that it's uh it's a lot going on and i think hopefully that some of these precautions will will help to curb this spread before it gets out of control, but we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, and the coronavirus is even really scaring the construction the construction industry, and that's kind of you know one of those industries where deadlines are tight, and you know you don't get to extend your your schedule on the project just because people are sick. So, you know, we're adding hand wash stations and. It's really hard to get a hold of any kind of alcohol uh, hand sanitizer right now. So it's it's really interesting to see how it affects different people. And I know, Scott, you work with kids. And if school's closed, like, what do you do? You get to go home and actually you get more practice rounds. So it'll probably help you out. But it's it's freaky seeing the NBA season suspended right now and just kind of, you know, European soccer not allowing fans in the stands and it's, it's kind of spiraling right now. Yeah, obviously working with kids is something that we have to take very seriously. Um, as much as I could sit here and joke and say, I would love to have some days off work to get some practice in and that kind of such or that kind of stuff. It's just, you know, it's, it's scary with the youth that you're working with. And even though we know or what we think we know about the viruses, it attacks elderly people a little harder and maybe real young, young children those with weakened immune systems and things like that, I would rather not find out um, by getting to this area. But, you know, there's been, uh, as of tonight, like 29 cases in Oregon that were reported, I think. So it's spreading a little more than we would like to see for sure. But um, we'll try to keep the topics a little upbeat tonight because I know it's kind of a somber day for everyone seeing and hearing some of the announcements, especially if you're a sports fan. But um, I wanted to jump right back into a topic that we talked about last week because I wanted to get Mr. Jors um, on the interview last week, but we weren't able to. You are newly 40 years old. Had your birthday last Saturday. Um, we were on a trip together. 
going to play a Sal's tournament down in Southern Oregon, but it was a big 4-0. We can't give you crap anymore for being 39 and playing in the 40-year-old division. Uh, after a few months of this, what's your take? Is it fun? Is it less fun? Is it just as competitive? What's the 40-year-old division look like for you? Man, I tell you, 40-year-old division, I, I, I've been licking my chops to, to get into the Masters division for uh, a few years now. Um, I'm it's not that, you know, it changes dramatically, but I've had to play against the likes of you two for many years now. And, and quite honestly, it, it's depressing to just continue to get my ass kicked. Um, but that being said, in the Masters division, there's a lot of great players. You know, I saw Rico's up in the 40 plus, uh, Philo's in Masters. Um, K, is it KJ or no? Yeah, yeah KJ Naibo, yeah. He's 40 plus now. So there's there's some incredible newcomers into the division plus there's already a handful of, of incredible 40 plus already playing so i don't think i can come in here and just dominate by any means i just think i can actually compete in this division so in that in that respect i feel i have a chance to win a lot of events where i didn't before or it was a long shot um that's probably the biggest change for me and you are also someone that played advanced moved up to pro i know you kind of paid your dues for the first couple years, like we all do, you listen to kind of the stuff we talked about last week. When do you think a player is ready to make that jump? When is it time to jump from the advanced division to the pro division? And then when is it time for a 39 slash 40 year old to jump up into masters? Is there still events you're going to play in open? Just kind of give us your feeling on those topics. Uh, as far as jumping from advanced into to open, a lot of that I think depends on how old you are. You know, if you're really a young player uh, and you don't have a lot of experience playing, even if you're really good, it's probably a great idea to stay as an amateur for multiple different reasons. One being that you can go to, you know, am worlds, you can go to am nationals, you can try and win some big events. You can try and get sponsors that way. Um, it gives you a big uh, step up on getting those sponsors, right? For me to get those sponsors without having those event titles and stuff like that, it's very, very difficult. Um, so from that perspective, if you're young, I definitely advise stay in an uh, advanced division a little longer. Um, but I was already quite a bit older, so I only stayed in advanced for about a year. And for me, it was when I felt like I was towards the top third of the division consistently. I was cashing. I was, you know, potentially winning events. Um, I felt like I had a, a, the ability to win a lot of events that I entered. At that point, make the jump. There's no point for you to stay in that division and continue winning. Go into a division where people are going to be better than you, and they're going to push you to be better yourself. And then 40-year-old, um, what was the decision for you to start playing 40-year-old division and everything, knowing that you can still compete and you're just as good as you were a year ago or two years ago? Uh, is there still events you're going to play open in, or are you pretty much locked into the 40-year-old division and going to try to rack up some wins and hopefully get some high finishes in that department uh i mean it's that's a tough one i didn't think that i would play a lot of 40 plus events right away but i'm not gonna lie right out of the gate january went down to sal's event and uh signed up and open and right before they told us to go out and play i changed the vision of the masters um and for that was just because a lot of my friends that i hadn't seen in a while were playing masters and i wanted to play with them uh, so that's going to play a big part of it. I'll be able to look now at every roster that's been signed up for a tournament and see who's playing Masters and who's playing Open. And if a bunch of my friends are playing Masters, 
a good chance I'm going to play Masters because I want to have fun. And that's what we're doing this for anyways. Most of us anyways. Um, and if there's a lot of people I don't know, but a lot of my buddies are playing open, there's a good chance I'll go play open. Because um, for me, it's all about going out and having a good time with my buddies. You know, winning is, is great, but I go out there to have fun and hang out with you guys. So. Sure. And then, Justin, last week when we talked about um, the division topics and everything, and we gave our background and stuff, after you hear George talk about his move up to 40 and everything, and the obviously the advice is something we didn't talk about last week of if you're young, maybe spend a little more time in advance, but if you get into that 30 range and what are you really playing am for, do you have any takes on that? Do you have any opinion on some of the things that uh, Justin just brought up? The age factor is a good point. And we have a couple of young guys in the Portland area like Cole, who, you know, he's a smasher and he's only, and he's in high school. I'm not sure how young he is, but I know in the advanced division, he's played really well. And I think he's beaten me a couple of times where he shot 1020 plus golf in the advanced division. And he's gone up to open a couple of times and you can kind of see the effects of, you know, how people handle pressure and cause there is a big difference in playing advanced where you're the, the big fish. And then you go to open where, you know, a bunch of players are skilled and or more skilled as you. So, but age is good. You know, you have to get experience. You have to be able to handle your, your failures. And I know George, I really enjoy playing with George cause he does handle his failures really well. And he's very mature and, he he said have fun three times and i i was talking about that with my card on sunday where sometimes i feel like when i'm not playing well i'm not having fun and disc golf is supposed to be fun and joris has always had a good time on the course and i know that's something that i try to learn from him is like hey shake off a a bad throw and still don't let it ruin your day like just because you shot a 965 970 round doesn't mean you know, the tournament's over and you just got to keep fighting and have a good time. Yeah. And we're all competitive when we're on the course. We've touched on that before, but one of the key things, and it was something that I struggled with early in my disc golf career was letting things go. The second you walk off the course, right? It goes with letting bad shots go as quickly as you can after not getting frustrated with yourself or at least limiting the frustration with yourself. But then when the day's over, when the round's over, you're not a better person because you played good disc golf. You're not a worse person because you played bad disc golf. It's just like put it into perspective in what disc golf really is or what it really means to you and that kind of stuff. If it's your only job and you just cost yourself a bunch of money and you're not going to be able to make it to the next tour stop, then yeah, maybe be a little more frustrated with yourself. But for all of us, that's not what it is. You know, We can have standards and we can have expectations for ourselves, but five minutes after you walk off that course and I mean – Justin Anderson, we saw that when I walked off the course in Vegas, like it was a pretty disappointing end to my last round, but 10 minutes later, it's over, right? You got to let it go. You can only be grumpy about it for a few minutes and then you owe it to all your buddies that you're there with to not kill the life of everyone else that's going on uh, and having fun. And I know with how much George and I travel together, I joke the best thing about him moving up to Masters is now we can both be happy on drives home but i mean it's kind of a real thing yeah i was going to piggyback off what george said and we have a friend that used to play disc golf with us all the time four or five years ago dylan hunt i mean he was a very talented player and 
he kind of drove himself crazy by not executing all the shots that he thought he could execute in his mind. And, you know, he went from someone who played 20 tournaments a year to, you know, psyching himself out to the point where I haven't seen the guy in three years. And, you know, no one wants to get to that point where you just torture yourself and make disc golf unenjoyable and then you're not playing. But I do enjoy what you said about being in Vegas and, you know, we both didn't have a great finishing round, but, you know, we're both getting better at, you know, not coming off the course. And like, even if we played well, sometimes in the past, it'd be like, oh, I know I shot 1020, but I missed two putts inside the circle. Uh, sometimes, you know, when the round's over, just kind of, you know, dust the dirt off your boots and let it go. Yeah, one of the things that you're referring to Dylan, and Dylan was a good buddy or is a good buddy of all of ours, um, and it was one of those things that disc golf wasn't bringing him happiness at that time, and now he's popped up at a few events around Oregon, especially in the Eugene area where he's living at, and seems to be happy as heck. He's doing the paramedic thing, if I'm correct, and is it firefighter or paramedic? I think it's paramedic. Firefighter. Is it firefighter? So he's he's working in the emergency services field, and every time we see him now, he's you know he looks happy. He's got everything together. I know that he'll probably start playing a little more here shortly. But really cool to see someone that realized like, hey, this isn't bringing me happiness. You know, maybe it was time to step away for a little bit. And we all hope that he gets back into the game as we go. But good example of someone that you know was putting a lot of stress on themselves, and he realized it. And we had some pretty in depth conversations about that. And then he decided to step away from the game for, you know, basically his life happiness because he was putting so much pressure on disc golf that it was affecting other things, stepped away, has been super successful since then and kind of got his life started in the right direction. Yep. So um, ratings came out this week. Always, well, I can't say always, usually or sometimes fun to see ratings come out on those second Tuesday mornings of every month. How'd you guys fare? I went down again. To what? 991? 992. 992. All right. So you're in the everlasting battle where you don't go under 990 and you don't go over 994. Yeah. So that's that's a funny story, actually. Uh, my first rating ever uh, from one event was a 995. Since that release, I have never gotten back to that rating. 994 <laughs> on numerous occasions. But I can't get over the hump and get back to 995 or higher. I think it's a curse. Uh, Anderson, how to treat you? I went down one. I was fortunate to stay in the thousand rated club just because the the Beaver State Fling signups are this month, and you know, for some someone who lives in the Oregon Northwest area, if you want to play the Beaver State Fling, you better be able to sign up that first tier or you know, be one of the first people to sign up the second tier. So this will be my first year being able to sign up as a thousand rated player. So I'm happy to at least hold on to that after the last uh, month update. Yeah, I went down two points. I kind of knew it was coming. It wasn't that I had a terrible tournament in Vegas. I probably averaged high 1020s or maybe around 1030. I just had a lot of really good rounds dropping off my rating from last year, and I would have had to replace those rounds with probably a 1050 or 1055 average to stay where I was dropped to 1037. It's still super high, maybe a little inflated from playing courses that I know all the time. And I realized that, but um, 
how much do ratings matter to you guys? And I'll let uh, George answer it first, I guess. But Justin, you just referred to signups for tournaments and being a thousand rated. When you look at your ratings, and George, you can answer this first. When you look at your ratings, what does it mean to you, and how much do you put stake into that? Uh, I honestly don't care a whole heck of a lot, uh, and the reason I don't is because. You know, I started playing a couple of years in, my rating jumped up a little bit and I started having expectations and putting pressure on myself that I wanted to try and, you know, make that rating go up. And at the end of the round, I, I make mistakes uh, and I get upset and I get frustrated. Uh, it just led to me being more unhappy. Uh, so then you, then I stopped worrying about it as much and my rating came back up. I started worrying about it again, rating went back down. Every time I worry about my rating, it goes down. Every time I stop caring about it, it goes back up. So for me, it's kind of like a fine balance. I, I keep my eyes on it, but I try not to let it bother me too much. You know, I'm, I'm happy that it's it's in the 990 club. Sure, I'd love it to be over 1,000, but honestly, if it never gets there, it doesn't bother me that badly. The only thing it really has any uh, impact on is, like Justin said, when signups come up for those tiered rating tournaments, it's awfully nice to be able just to sign up ahead of everybody versus having to be on your computer and sign up within 30 seconds with the fear of losing your spot. And you shouldn't have to worry about that in Masters anymore when you go into the Beaver State Fling and other big tournaments that do have that MP40 division. I think you have a little more time um, okay. to get to get registered with those. And then Mr. Anderson, Justin Anderson, you were talking about being able to sign up for the Fling, but it looks like this year they've changed the format of the fling a little bit, and it's only going to be three rounds instead of four, which theoretically should let quite a few more MPO players into the field. So how much does your rating mean to you? I know that being a member of the 1,000-rated club is a cool thing and kind of a bragging rights thing. What's your take on ratings, and how much do they affect your mindset? Well, now, now that I've reached a thousand rated and I've sustained it for a couple months or had it and lost it and got it back. It's one of those things where with my current sponsorship with this mania, if I can get my rating to 1020 plus, which is a long, you know, 20 points is a big jump when you're in the thousand club, but you know, that brings in different bonus structures and maybe, you know, a smaller salary or just, you know, so it's kind of like a point where, you know, kind of when you were with Prodigy, right? You were at around 1,009 and you transitioned to Innova and you kind of blew up and your rating got the 1,020. And then, you know, you got your Gator and, you know, everything has kind of been blossoming for you. And the higher rating you have in this game, it, it can t get, you know, get you benefits. So I know it's, you know, reaching a thousand rated was a goal that I set for myself six years ago. And, and now when I shoot a thousand rated around, I'm kind of disappointed because that probably means I had two bogeys and missed a couple putts, but it's, uh, you know, if I can get my rating up to the thousand fifteen thousand twenty, there's a lot more opportunities in this game for me. So I need to keep working and see if I can get it up this year. And I'm not real familiar with what the lines look like in the MP40 division. Obviously, uh, Jores would love to pick up a sponsor as we move forward in his MP40 career and the wins are going to start coming and we know the level that you're playing at and as a competition, being honest gets a little easier uh, um, when you move into the 
MP40 division outside of the MPO division. We'll see how that, that looks, you know, moving forward and what different sponsors are looking for. Maybe maybe it's down the lines of picking up something small to start and then moving forward from that. But you, rep, Justin Anderson, you referenced when I was the one year I spent with Prodigy and I was high 10 teens, if you want to call it that, 10, 16 or 17 when I started that year. And at that point, they didn't quite have a full line of discs. And I struggled with the fairway drivers and struggled with some diversity in creating shots. And my rating went down to a point where I was, I think I was maybe even like a thousand four or a thousand five at the end of the year. And then I got really lucky and got a level sponsorship that was kind of a base level sponsorship with Innova that turned out to be kind of a prove it sponsorship. Um, and it worked. And then the discs matched again. It was a stuff that I'd always thrown outside of that one year. I was comfortable with it and kind of coincided with me being up in Albany for the first time and having some courses to practice at that were real disc golf courses. And, you know, I got to that 1010 level for the second time. And then I got to 1020 and I was like, okay, 1020 is kind of the line. Like that's when you're, you know, like you were saying, that's when you start getting the calls for sponsorships and maybe the little boost in revenue that they can bring with them. And then it hit 1030 and I was like, I didn't really know or think anything of ever getting to 1030. Um, and that was kind of been like, go back and look at the stats and you're like, oh, you did play really well for a year. You did play really well for a couple of years to get there. Now, as I've got close to 1040, I knew that my one chance to get to 1040 was a couple updates ago when I got to 1039, but I knew I had stuff dropping off that was super high from the year before. And that's how this cycle works with ratings. It's generally a one year cycle and stuff falls off as you replace it with new tournaments a year later. And realistically, after the next couple updates, I'm probably going to be back to 1035, even if I play good, which is maybe more of a real representation of where I'm at in my game. 1039 with a couple really cool tournaments at the start of last year and a really good couple really good tournaments at the end might have been a little inflated from where it'll stay at. But I mean, 1040 looks like a long term goal for me. Now, when I'm on the course, it's not going through my mind at all. I'm not thinking about ratings. I'm not thinking about anything like that. Ratings will take care of themselves if you go put in the work and go win tournaments. And that's kind of the way I view them. I'm actually playing with your uh, rating right now on a spreadsheet. And it actually has a very nice linear um, charting. Uh, I'm going to play with it here and I'll, I'll give you a prediction of when and if you may ever get to 1040. So here comes the analytics and stats guy in George who loves loves ratings and loves going over and that kind of stuff. But um, I guess if you had if you both had to pick a goal for yourself, a goal number one year from now, what would you like to see them at? George, is that a thousand for you? Anderson, what's it look like for you? I guess, George, go ahead and start. Uh, sure. If I could get to a thousand, I'd be I'd be pretty excited. Um, like I say, it's always. It's always every disc golfer's desire to get to, you know, a certain benchmark. And, and for me, a thousand's kind of always been out of reach. And I've tried not to dwell on it, but would I love to get to it? Be damn right I would. I'd love to get to a thousand. Um, does that require me to actually practice? Probably. So <laughs> I'll have to make a decision at some point. Do I want to stop doing so much CrossFit and maybe practice golf a little bit? Uh, we'll see. 
<laughs> and that's and that's honest. Uh, Justin, what are you what are you looking at for the years? Ten ten the goal is ten oh five the goal is to be higher than you are right now. What's it look like? I think I think ten ten's a good goal. You know, that's a stroke and a you know, stroke and another quarter of a stroke improvement from where I am right now. And you know, if I can improve my game, I I know it's kind of a mindset you need to have, but I feel like I can easily improve two strokes around. So if I can get to 1015 or 1016 that by the end of the year and just play good golf and, you know, be consistent, I think it's, I think it's within reach. And we've talked about how to get your rating up before. There's a couple keys to me that I think you have to do. You've got to hit the first gap. You've got to not go out of bounds and you've got to make all your putts inside the circle and those clean it up. If you're talking about being one stroke better where both of your goals are, it's one more made putt per round. It's one less drive that goes out of bounds per round, or it's one less time where you don't hit the initial gap on a hole and you end up taking a par or a bogey on that. One little cleanup, and you can both be per round, and you can both be at your goal at the end of the year. Yep. Very, very true. In my case, yep. judging from last weekend, if you just take away one hole. Yeah, and we were playing in the Salas tournament down at Day Spring Ranch, which is a super awesome piece of property um it's in canyonville oregon so it's a little tiny town in southern oregon that people really only know for seven feathers casino which the course happens to be what maybe a half a mile from the casino you can see it from the property and uh charlie the owner of the property said they have basically 20 acres wide and 220 acres deep in land that has a lot of rolling hills a lot of elevation change not a ton of trees but so many natural elements to be able to make the property really cool and really hard. Justin got in a disagreement with a hole that had some trees behind the basket, but also had a pretty severe slope when he was done. His group was talking about whether he had a seven or an eight on the hole, and it took him from being in contention in the MP40 division to sustaining his first second MP40 loss in the year. Yeah, whatever it was, but I, I, it was kind of a funny story at the end and he was a little grumpy, but then we got back in the car, got him some food and he was good to go. A little ground help too. Yeah. (laughs) The honesty of non-sanctioned tournaments. So, uh, here's an interesting, uh, statistic for you, Scott, since you reached a thousand rating back in October of 2012, you haven't lost that four-digit rating, and you've been gaining at approximately 12.6% slope, which is really damn good. Uh, For you to get above 1040 or meet 1040, it looks like you're going to be right towards the end of this year, beginning of next year, if you were to follow the same curve, which is pretty consistent. That curve's got to get harder as you get higher, though, right? There's limited... It's consistent. There's limited things that when you're at that level that you can improve on. And I think one of the things that I've, the two things that I've worked the hardest on are all short game based and it's putting, which I think it's fair to say there's been a good improvement in putting for my game in the last three years. And then also throwing putters and throwing up shots. And those two things I feel like took me from that 1020 line up to close to 1040 now we'll see where it goes from here but um 
always little things to sharpen up. I'd love my forehand to get a little better, maybe a little bigger and pick up one extra bonus birdie around or one extra bonus birdie every two rounds or something to maybe get it leveled out. Yeah, it's it's within reach, man. You can definitely do it. Like you um, said, it doesn't take a whole lot. Moving out of rating talk, we, we talked a little about coronavirus to start the day or to start the episode. It's a scary thing, and we're all kind of in the same boat with the uncertainty of what's going to come on it. Obviously, Justin, George, you have two teenage daughters that are going to high school. Um, you said Riley's volleyball tournament up in Spokane got canceled, um, and I assume that's a result of the virus. Yeah, yeah. I, I wouldn't be surprised if her entire season gets canceled from here on out, or at least Which, suspended. As a parent, you know, you've you've dumped money into all of the volleyball activities that she's doing and all of the other CrossFit and the she's a very active kid, obviously. Um it hits home a little more for you guys up there. And then Justin, you were talking about like even on the job site at construction sites, now you're starting to see different hand washing stations come up. You have to meet deadlines. You don't know if guys are gonna be at work because they're sick or not at work. And then I've got all the kids that we deal with and the families that are in and out of our building the whole time. When we follow what the NBA has done or we follow what college basketball has done for both the men's and women's games to see either no games or no fans in the arenas, do you think this is something that is going to impact major tournaments at disc golf? Do you think because we're an outdoor activity, maybe they just do away with the little pregame handshake and then let people go about their ways predictions one way or the other uh george i'll start with you and then we'll move to anderson to finish it up uh i think it could definitely have an impact i think a lot of it just kind of depends on how how effective some of the measures that are being put in place right now are so if if the measures that they're doing right now by you know suspending sports seasons and you know canceling different gatherings and you know having school like i know seattle their their entire public school system is um off for two weeks um so measures like this if those measures have a good effect a positive effect and we can slow down the spread there's a, a good chance that hopefully our tournaments for the most part will be okay um the bigger ones are obviously highest risk for being impacted the smaller events, you know, like you say, we're outside. We're not really in that large of a group, per se. Um, the opportunity for us to get infected or pass infections along is is much lower. But, I mean, it's going to come down to the individual making that decision. Do they want to put themselves or their family at risk and go to an event where there could potentially be somebody infected and not know about it? Um, so I think it will have an impact to some degree, but it's hard to say exactly how much. I think the the small tournaments that we have here in Oregon uh, might not be infected or affected, excuse me. And I know I won't stop playing. I it's something that I think if you have good hygiene and you just you know keep keep your hands clean and away from your face, uh, you have a better chance of not uh, getting the coronavirus. But you know the tournaments with three thousand spectators and you know, big gatherings before and after tournaments. And I mean, hopefully those don't stop either. They're definitely, uh, you know, disc golf has reached a point where, you know, the, the media and the live coverage is at an all time high and people are, you know, getting drawn to the game and it's starting to grow. 
And it would be sad to see it slow down just because of uh, people getting sick or the fear of getting sick. And you, Justin, you just said, you know, it's not going to affect what you're doing. You're going to show up and play everything as scheduled. I'm in that same boat. I feel like um, being outside, maybe getting rid of the pregame handshakes and that kind of stuff, you can essentially stay to just your own equipment. Put that hand sanitizer, if you can find it in stores, in your bag. Make sure you're uh, diligent about washing your hands with that hand sanitizer a couple times around, and then every time after you use the restroom or whatever, making sure that you're keeping your hands away from your face. Like you said, it's not going to slow me down. I think the bigger concern is travel. I think the bigger concern with the large tournaments is how do people get there? Because right now, if you want to get on a plane to fly to Waco, obviously this would have been two days ago, is it worth getting on a plane and being in a super tight environment with a bunch of people that you've never met before and not knowing their backgrounds and stuff? That's where I think the bigger questions for our sport come in. And I don't think it is for the local tournaments. I think you'll see most of them go on as planned, although the duck chuck, uh, the U of O fundraiser for their collegiate program, got canceled because of some of the stipulations that the universities are putting on um, the different events and such. But I think locally... I would be very surprised if we see many tournaments get canceled due to concerns from it. At this point, definitely. That that could change, obviously, if the uh, spread gets worse and more people in local areas become infected, then I think that'll start to scare people off. So, And I know, yeah, personally, I really hope they don't because although we're not in a time of year where you're making a bunch of money playing disc golf. Obviously it's a source of income for me. It can help to pay some of the bills and such that life has. And if those tournaments aren't there, then that could, you know, have a pretty negative effect on um, my spending money cash flow, not necessarily my paying bills cash flow. That's what you have a job for, but it is nice to have that little extra income um, coming in from tournaments. And if we're not playing them, that's gone. Yeah. Yeah, another thing, uh, my wife and I planned a trip to Disneyland at the end of April, and we planned it a while ago, and now we've already bought plane tickets and passes to Disneyland and paid for a hotel, and, you know, we don't know what's going to happen at the end of April, so we're looking at something where a fun trip was planned, and, and now we might not even get to go on it, so hopefully, hopefully it's still a possibility. Yeah, and I guess we'll see. A lot of news broke today. I would say in the U.S., more news broke today than has any other day now. And sometimes it takes those major sports leagues that are such big money makers. They're such big money, you know, industry, whatever you want to call it, to get people's attention. And especially us as three guys that are all sports fans. When the NBA says we're not playing basketball anymore and you find out that Rudy Gobert has a coronavirus like that's big news and i mean at least if we were kind of being like oh this isn't going to affect us this isn't going to affect anything that we're dealing with it's just old people or whatever that's now changed yeah yep 
Let's get on to one more bright note. I'm going to throw it out to you guys, and I'll let you make some predictions. Uh, um, Brody Smith's playing his first official large PDGA tournament outside of the round that Paul hazed or was hazing him the whole time uh, with the video camera and doing in-round interviews and stuff like that. He's on the featured card at Waco that tees off tomorrow. Obviously, he comes from a background of being able to do crazy things with a frisbee. I watched the video of his 923 rated round, so he could get around or get a rating, so he could play big tournaments. It wasn't pretty at times, but there was some highlights. Give me a prediction, rating wise, because I'm not super familiar with how like low to par that course scores. Do you think? He's got a chance to cash number one. And do you think his first round will be over or under 950? All right. So I have watched Waco coverage for a couple of years. And Waco is the course that Macbeth shot 18 under, I believe, last year. Right. And it is a scorable course. It is also a course where half of it is pretty heavily wooded. And you can get yourself into a lot of trouble. And I, I know what it's like to play with big names. And I remember my first time being filmed by Central Coast. I was playing with Dave Felberg and Nate Sexton. And it was kind of one of those things where, you know, I was so nervous that I was getting filmed. And then I was also nervous that I was playing in front of a world champ. And just kind of, you know, you don't, sometimes you don't, you know, execute the shots like you thought. And, you know, when you're on live coverage in Waco and you just hit the first tree available and kicked into the woods and, you know, you try to get freaky like his motto is. And next thing you know, you're back in the woods and you're scrambling and, and you kind of just, I think, I mean, I've watched a lot of his videos. The dude's got some talent and he is getting better. I don't know if, my prediction is he's going to shoot 970 the first round and average 985 for the tournament. That's what I'm going with. And I don't know if 985 is good enough to cash in Waco, but it could happen. I have to disagree with you there, Justin. So I, I just watched actually some footage of uh, Paul's 18 under round today because it popped up on my Facebook feed and I have a board. Um, that course has got some very, very tight holes with a whole lot of danger on the outside. If you don't hit your line right or you get a bad tree kick, you could be in some seriously hairy stuff. I don't know. I mean, I know he's creative. I know he's done a lot of, you know, really crazy shots, but I don't know if his scrambling knowledge and ability and skill set is high enough to keep him back in the fairway or get him back in the fairway and to keep him from getting big numbers. I would... I would wager that he's going to definitely struggle on a lot of those holes. Because where there isn't a tight fairway, there's out of bounds. So you're going to have to be accurate, and you're going to have to keep it in the middle. Uh, all those things are very difficult for somebody that, one, throws hard like he does, and two, doesn't have a lot of control yet. I don't think he's going to do well there. I think he's going to get murdered. Um, Prediction over or under 950 for the first round? Under for sure. I think that I am with Jors on this one. I think it's an under for 950 in the first round. And I know Waco has pretty good ratings, but most of your pro field 
not most, the guys that play well and at the top of the pro field light it up at that course and just, well, honestly, every course right now because of how good the players have got. I worry for him that I don't think nerves are going to be an issue. I don't think that's it. He's been in the social media spotlight for years. I don't think that is going to be a factor at all. I don't know him personally, never met him. Um, I really value what he's doing for the sport. I think that everyone who says, oh, why is he getting all this attention and stuff right away? I think they're totally missing the point because there's so many followers of our game that have already jumped on because of his social media reach and everything like that. Totally appreciate it. I think there's some pride that's going to be involved, and I think it's going to be a little bit of a struggle right away, and he's going to get better, and he's going to get better quickly because he's learning from the best. He's obviously very talented at throwing a Frisbee. He'll grasp the concepts of it, but like George said, tournament golf can be a different beast, and now you've got cameras in front of you, and it's real at this point. There is no one to save you. Paul, sure, is very laid back in the course. The group he's with, they're going to joke with him and have fun, but at the same time, you throw a bad shot, and we know how ruthless those internet trolls can be and you know hopefully he i'm sure he's not reading comments that people put up anyways just because he's done the social media thing for years but it can get in your head i think waco is a course that he's gonna have to go low on to be around a thousand rated i don't think it happens i think as the year goes there'll be a couple tournaments that he may cash in but we were talking about where he ends at the end of the year i still think it's more in the 960 or 965 range just as he gets going and then it'll bump up big time next year i say under 950 i'm gonna say 945 for round one that's my prediction and then hopefully maybe gets a little better as the cameras are off for rounds two and three i think he'll go 945 965 970 those are my predictions for three rounds that's possible I can see that. I mean, I think the pressure is going to be high in the first round. Like I say, he's he's going to probably get himself into trouble and then feel like he has to do something incredible like the other guys in the group are probably going to do uh, to try and keep pace with those guys. I can't say for sure. It's hard to say. I, I've never seen him in a situation like that. But once the cameras are off of him and he gets in a group that's not, you know, the likes of Paul and all the other top pros, uh, he'll probably be able to calm down a little bit and probably rethink his strategy a bit, maybe tone it down, hopefully, and just try and keep that disc from going places it shouldn't go. I know I'll be watching. The live coverage at the Memorial was top-notch, and it's definitely something I'll have on at work. And I know he's definitely not going to be on coverage second or third round, so it's going to be one of those things where he's got a shot to – help the game out and get a lot of views and hopefully somebody out there who's never played the game is watching and, you know, goes and buys a disc and tries it out and hopefully they're hooked. Yep. I, I totally agree. I think we're all kind of on the same point with there's some learning process to go. Justin Anderson, you have high hopes for him. Um, and I know that the skill of throwing a Frisbee's there, it's a different environment. There's a lot of guys that have put in, years and years and years of working on it, just like we would never be able to pick up an ultimate disc and do the things that that guy can do with them. I think he will get there, but it's going to take a little bit of time. I value everything that they're bringing to the sport and the things that Discraft have done to really promote the sport in the last couple of years. So real quick, before we get out of here, who wins Waco this weekend? Paul. Big bath. 
Yeah, I'm going with McBeth too. He's just uh, on another level. Thousand sixty one rated player is uh, that's crazy to me. That's you know better than any round I've ever thrown. And I'll, yep. <laughs> I'll go. I'll go with McBeth as well. We'll make it the three Pete. Um, I I thought about taking an eagle, but I think when you get in the woods and how technical some of those holes are, I think that's where Macbeth separates even more so from everybody else with just how fundamentally sound he is and how the forehand and backhand is there in all situations. And Waco doesn't seem to be a course that you have to really crush on. It seems to be an accuracy and placement course. Um, I've watched all the videos and that kind of stuff for him. One day I would love to get out there and play it because it looks fun, but I think that's a three all three of us jumping on the Paul bandwagon for this weekend. So um, thank you guys um, for taking the time this evening. Obviously we got some events coming up. Justin Anderson, I know you're going to play the thing at Sean Kirk's house at Hyder's hike on Saturday. I'm still up in the air. I think I'm probably going to be able to make it out there. Uh, Mr. George, your next event, Selmac in two weeks. Yep. Selmac and then uh, Oregon open. And I, uh... Not sure. I think BC is the only thing else I have signed up for currently. So, so you've got a lot of a lot of blank weekends to fill in still. Where I know Justin Anderson and I both have Buxton coming up um, at the end of this month. I am pumped up for that. That's the 28th and 29th. So I think oh. I got four weekends. If I play Hiders, it I'll go. I can Hiders. Can you Hiders C tier? Um, Selmac C tier, Buxton B tier, and then one weekend where I'm going to play the slosh at Milo and I'm going to play the Sal's event at Whistler's Bend. So there's no better weekend than going Milo and Whistler's back to back. Agreed. And yeah. I still think I'm one of the only people in the world that has played Milo and Whistler's in the same day. You are very, very likely to be the only person in the world that's played Milo and Whistlers in the same day. It was a good day. So, yeah, all right, boys. Well, let's let's bounce out of here. We're almost fifty minutes into the podcast. We'll get everyone out of here. So, thank you all for listening. Thank you, Justin Jores, for being with us, and as always, Justin Anderson for killing it with um, the opinions and the high expectations for Brody Smith this weekend. So. We'll see how it goes, and we will talk to you guys next week. All right. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Yep.